This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 691 with Denisha Seals. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 691. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Mamas, before we dig into this conversation today, I do want to give you a bit of a content warning that we do touch on sexual assault in this conversation. So if that's something that you are not in the space to digest today, or if you have little ones around and you need to put on some headphones, this is your warning. Denisha Seals was raised by her mother, a single parent who had not had a childhood. She was a teenage mom in an abusive relationship. Unfortunately, the unresolved trauma from her mother's past was projected onto Denisha from the time she was very young, leaving Denisha with low self-esteem and vulnerability to people who exploited her innocence. A high school teacher helped Denisha realize she had a choice to continue to hurt and to follow in her mother's footsteps or to start her own healing journey. She began counseling and realized that her traumatic childhood was not her fault. Denisha is now engaged in converting the pain of the past into lessons that can be shared with people in a myriad of creative ways for the greater good. She's a writer and a speaker impacting the world through her storytelling and powerful messages of hope. Listen in to hear Denisha share all about her documentary, Hint, Historical Intergenerational Nutritional Trauma, about the nutritional genocide of people of color, how her childhood trauma of incestual sexual assault inspires her work and her support of her indigenous culture, 
the significance of her indigenous culture and African culture in her birth experience and how that informs how she shows up in the world today, how growing up as an Afro-Indigenous child who had been neglected and violated in foster care and phases of homelessness impacted her youth, how she has intentionally shaped relationships and specific boundaries with her parents in order to heal, her book, Butterflies and Me, written and designed to support children's mental health, and how she intentionally made her book inclusive of many children's marginalized backgrounds and struggles from race to mental health. My goodness, this was a deep, intense, really powerful conversation. And I'm so grateful to Denisha for showing up, sharing her story, her journey, and also all the work that she's doing to support children in this world and children with struggles similar to hers and really allowing people and children especially to move from a place of pain into power through the magical stuff that Denisha is putting out there. All of her in very impressive creations. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Denisha Seals to the Shameless Mom Academy. Denisha, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a great conversation. We have been trying to have this conversation for like three months. (laughs) (laughs) Both, I would say that we've both done a great job giving each other a lot of grace. Yes, I would say so. Oh my gosh, we both had just really wild circumstances come up. So we're here, we're healthy. No one in our family has passed away this week. Like these are all the things. Thank God, yes. So here we are. With all that said, I'm so honored to have you here. And as we were talking in our pre-interview, you were asking about my degree and I was saying, well, I'm a sociology major with a minor in psychology. And when I get pitches for interviews around conversations like the one that you sent me, it's such an automatic yes, because I think these conversations, first of all, I just think that they're really interesting. I think that the more we can learn about each other's lived experiences, the more value we all bring to the world. But I also think that when we can talk about these experiences and normalize people coming from trauma and people overcoming trauma and acknowledging so much of us are carrying trauma with us, then we have the opportunity to connect with one another in just a really different way, which I think is provides a lot of opportunity for collective healing. So thank you in advance for creating this space where we can dig into this conversation, which I know is really, really personal to you. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you again for having me. I love what you're saying. Let's humanize one another. So I love that. With that said, my first question as always is I would love to know a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Uh, Well, what I am, I can start with what I'm most excited about. What I'm actually most excited about is that I am currently in the state of orange. My spirit is currently in a state of orange. And when I say that is orange is the highest level of creativity. So Mm. I just finished my second documentary film and I will have my third documentary film completed in December. And I won an international film award for my first documentary. So I'm glad to kind of get them all out. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in using the gifts and talents that God and the ancestors gave you and to give it to the world. And what the world does with it is, you know, what they do with it. But my responsibility is to create and give it to the world. So that's what I'm most excited about right now is being at the highest level of creativity, which I consider it to be the state of orange. Oh my gosh. So amazing and powerful. And I have a whole bunch of follow-up questions now. So so tell us about, can you tell us just briefly about the documentaries and kind of what you're you're working on? 
Yes, absolutely. Well, the second documentary film is the acronym HINT, which is uh, Historical Intergenerational Nutritional Trauma. Mm -hmm. And I was able to juice for 60 days. And in the process of me juicing for 60 days, I interviewed all people of color who are professionals, such as therapists, sociologists, psychologists, farmers, as well as nonprofit organization leaders that work with marginalized communities of color that have trauma. And the nutritional aspect of the film is brought up by these professionals about how when marginalized communities, particularly marginalized communities of color, do not have access to the proper nutrition, what that can do to the self-esteem, the mental health, the physical health, emotional health, the health of the community holistically. And these are issues that are not discussed. These are things that aren't talked about. And when you go to the Walmart in the quote unquote black neighborhood here in Nebraska, where I am at, that Walmart does not have a lot of the things that we would need. For example, there's not a lot of fresh produce. Immediately when you walk in, you see Coca-Cola, you see Pepsi, you see coffee, you see cookies, you see everything that is not good for us. But when you go to West Omaha, where the quote unquote white people are, right, you walk in, it's much bigger, it's much cleaner. It also has fresh produce from aisle one all the way down to aisle, <laughs> aisle 30, okay? So it's about how historically we have not been able to be provided the same amount of nutritional benefits, others that are not marginalized. I call it nutricide, nutritional genocide. So that's what that film talks about. And um, it's 29 minutes. It's a short film, literally just got done on Monday. And I'm, I have the promo clip out now and I'm excited. You know, I have some really prominent people, you know, who are in the film. So I was blessed for that. Wow. I'm imagining a lot of people are listening like me, um, a white woman who lives in a predominantly white neighborhood and hearing everything you're saying and thinking like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. It, uh, connecting a whole bunch of dots and also that isn't something that I routinely consider or mm -hmm. dots that I would automatically connect without someone bringing it to the forefront and bringing it into the spotlight. And so what a significant body of work to create a documentary around this and really bring this into light. I think that's so important. And also, so it's so important to highlight this because of the, and I love your term, the nutritional genocide because of the impact from generation to generation with that comes with that reality. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of people, some people, you know, people who aren't marginalized aren't, don't have to uh, think about these things on a daily basis. Right. You know, like I tell people, most of the time where I would get my food was the breakfast program and lunch program at school mm -hmm. and the after school program dinner, you know, because of, you know, economics and the system. So we go into a lot you know, about what causes these things. And then everyone kind of, the professionals create their own solutions to what they think could heal the problem. And it starts with educating our community and making healthy food culturally relevant as well. 
Can you say the name of the documentary again? I want to make sure I include it in our notes so that people can. Because <laughs> yes, I know, like, I want to watch this, and I know other people will want to as well. Uh, absolutely. So it is the um, it's the acronym Hint. The title is Hint, but it is Historical Intergenerational Nutritional Trauma. And like I said, I found a company to sponsor my juice for sixty days, and that's when I got the idea that I wanted to interview a collective of you know predominantly professionals of color to give their perspectives on things. I even have an Dr. Madeline Sutton, who is an internationally renowned OBGYN, and she is of the African diaspora. Um, and she speaks about what happens to a woman when she's pregnant and marginalized and do not have access to the nutrition that she needs. So I'm excited about it. Oh my gosh. We weren't even going to talk about this on this in this conversation. And I'm so glad that you brought this up. I, I love how sometimes the things that we just say in passing can be the things that need to be centered and have the opportunity mm-hmm. to be centered. Um, yeah. Okay. So when does the documentary come out? Well, it's already out, oh, but out? I haven't figured out when to do a actual, hey, virtual viewing of it. You know, like I tell people, I'm one person. I'm very creative. I have all these the ideas. I complete the things. And then it's like, okay, now these are completed. Now what do you do with it? So I was thinking about putting it into some film competitions or just do a community virtual viewing of it. So I'm really not sure when I will do that. So we'll... I don't want to jump all the way to the end of our conversation just yet because we have so many other things to talk about. But when we get into where people can find you, we'll send people to your website and they can look on your site just to see. I'm sure you'll have it mentioned there where people can figure out how to watch the documentary. And then we'll also have the name in the show notes as well. Awesome. Oh my goodness. So we just dug right into like the meat of it. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. So I want to connect what you just shared around historical intergenerational nutritional trauma, which is now probably a new thing on many listeners' radar as of the last few minutes, and connect this and bridge this to what we are going to talk about today, which is your story and how your story really inspired your work. And I think there's definitely some overlap in terms of coming from a place of intergenerational trauma, recognizing that, and then becoming an artist and a creator and a contributor to the world in such a huge way by owning where you come from and then making some really conscientious decisions to share where you come from in order to heal yourself, but also heal others who have been down a similar path. So can you talk a little bit about your upbringing and how your story has inspired your work? Well, you know, in terms of my upbringing, uh, there's no secret. I'm very open about the fact that I am a survivor of childhood sexual assault, you know, ancestral childhood sexual assault. And by my oldest brother, and he would also watch me be sexually assaulted by the neighborhood boys he would bring in to sexually assault me. And my trauma started at five. Well, actually, I say that my trauma, I was born into trauma because my mother was a survivor of many things as well. And she wasn't healed at the time. And as a Native American, we believe that women who have been traumatized in our community, we hold our pain in our womb. So when that's not healed, we birth a part of our pain into the the material within our children if that is not healed. So I feel that I was also born into trauma, especially with, you know, the umbilical cord being uh, wrapped around my neck and my mom not being able to see me for three days, Mm. you know, from the C-section. And even though the African side of my culture fully appreciates that I was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck, because that symbolizes the substance of my, of the strength of the child's. So a survivor is what mm. they attach that to. So I guess in a way, a That's lot of so what I'm doing was predestined. Yeah, absolutely. And so my Native American side is like, hey, heal that womb. And my, my African side is like, hey, you were birthed with that umbilical cord wrapped around your neck. You're a survivor. So it's fun to interconnect my cultures. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And to have... Because you can either like see those things as being at odds with each other, those two cultural influences, or you can mm-hmm. see them really complementing each other and just yes. completely informing I, I, the way that you show up in the world. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in making interconnections. And I say intra and not inter. Mm. And when I say intra, you know, first I like to introduce people as I am an Afro-Indigenous woman. And then I would like to do the inter, which allows them to understand, hey, I'm human just like you are human. And then the intra connection is this is what makes me human when I speak about my culture. 
So I do the intro, inter, and intra, if that makes sense. And being birthed the way that I was birthed and growing up and foster, you know, I was in foster care. I was also in group homes. I understand what poverty is. I understand what homelessness is. I understand anger. I understand what it means to be forced to be silenced. And the worst thing that I can say about what it was like growing up is that as a child, I did the necessary outreach to let the adults around me know that I was being victimized. But one of the issues with a lot of educators to this day, recently they did a study on educators and they asked them, how do you see young black girls? Right. And all of the educators stated, we see them as grown women. That's why we call the police on them in the classroom. That's Mm -hmm. why we get security. We don't see them as children. And see, when you don't educate yourself truly, that's when you lack the humanization. When you say things black, white, or them, they, those, and those people over Mm -hmm. here and us and we. So a lot of that ideology, I feel, in the educational system of lack of humanization of adult and child versus big human, young human, right, based off of experiences, I was dismissed. I was even made fun of by teachers. And they lacked humanization. And it it had a lot to do as well with their deficit thinking. Mm -hmm. What they saw was an angry young Black child versus a abused. Right child that is being neglected in every way, violated in every way, and do not have the emotional capability to express this pain. Mm -hmm. So I feel, you know, and I usually don't like to say I feel statements because it excludes the thought, the logic behind I feel, but I truly feel that if there was true advocacy and allyship within the educational system, a lot of the trauma these youth are experiencing in silence when they even are going to the schools and sometimes in the schools would dissipate, you know, just would not be there. And, or it would be an immediate response to it. Absolutely. You bring up so many really important and really valid points and you have the way you just explained your experience And the different contributions to your experience in terms of being in that situation as a Black Indigenous child, not being treated as a child, not being acknowledged as being neglected or violated, all of those things. This is this is this is not an uncommon experience for Black children. And you're absolutely right that it would have been really different if you were a white child and have gone through a similar experience. Absolutely. And like I, when I do presentations and when I do professional developments and workshops, I start with something as simple as allowing individuals to understand that my trauma as a Afro-Indigenous child, I never say mm-hmm. Black, because again, that's a social construction of creating a box that we all have of one another, which lacks humanization. Because when we create boxes around ourselves and others, what that allows us to do is to project our ideology based off of what has been shown in the media or what has been shown based off of maybe our subjectivity or lack thereof, right? So I like to introduce myself too as an Afro-Indigenous woman because Black is a social construct that honestly is fallible. 
white is fallible. Mm -hmm. Brown is fallible. Red is fallible. Who I am is a representation of my culture or cultures. Race being a social, and you know this as a sociologist, Mm -hmm. you know, and studying sociology, it is a social construct in a lot of ways to divide and conquer or divide, marginalize and separate. And my pedagogy is to allow individuals to dismantle those boxes that have been put in place with all of us, okay? And the goal in dismantling these things, it starts with something simple, admitting that we all have biases, we Mm -hmm. all have prejudices, we all have ignorance, we all have anger as well. Some may feel like, hey, these types of people over here are getting all the attention, but yet we over here aren't. Instead of it being, hey, let's heal collectively. And it starts with understanding historical trauma. And it starts with understanding familial trauma based off of the historical trauma. And then it goes on to the social trauma based off of the historical trauma. And then we interconnect these things and allow people to, and I allow people to make connections as well to understand that I'm actually standing here in front of you, everyone, because we lacked humanization of one another. I should not be standing here in front of you telling you that you have to humanize this African child or this Native American child or this Latina Chicano child. Right. What you also have to understand is based off of the historical trauma my emotional, my state of trauma, if I am sexually assaulted as an African child versus a Native American child will be different. Mm-hmm. And my criticism of psychology, and it does not assist with healing the spirit. Psy actually is an African word that means spirit, but Western psychology focuses on the mind. Without the spirit, without the body, there's really no mind. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So when... I hope you're catching, you're following me here. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So what I'm saying is truly is that my trauma as an Afro indigenous woman is not going to be the same as this Chicano woman or this Afro Boricua woman, because there are different historical traumas. There are different familial structures. And then a lot of individuals don't even understand that there's subcultures within the Latino, Chicano and Hispanic dynamic and native as well Mm -hmm. and in African as well. So what I try to teach people is understanding that to address my trauma, you are going to have to understand first the whys, and then you will then understand how I got here to be in front of you saying, I'm in this therapy session, help me with my healing process. And Mm -hmm. I also address the fact that if culturally I get my healing in the church, the synagogue, the mosque, uh, you know, And I'm coming to you with scripture or, you know, mantras or affirmations and you have no knowledge of that and dismiss it, then you are adding to my pain. There are less than 2% of mental health professionals, psychiatrists, psychologists and therapists in the nation of color. So nine times out of 10, when that Latino, that, you know, person of that is marginalized of color, right? They are likely to have a person that is outside of their community 
that does not necessarily look like them or have the same cultural aspects of them. So it's already a dynamic of uncomfortability. You know right. what I mean? And right. so I assist with therapists and counselors and psychiatrists to first understand that the dynamic where we have come to be culturally in the United States and spiritually and emotionally in the United States based off of the historical trauma of being in the United States, right? Right. Oh my goodness. You just gave us an entire education for which I'm so grateful. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> I love this so much. You are like, <laughs> I, this, I'm truly really grateful. One of the things I want to point out, which you kicked off that whole education with, you corrected me on your, that you don't identify as black, that you identify as Afro-Indigenous. And I want to address, first of all, that thank you for correcting me. I think that that's so important. And I also really appreciate that when someone self-identifies, then the person hearing that, so in my case, in this instance, me, has the opportunity to really clue in like, oh, this person wants to be identifies in a certain way. And now my job is to honor that. So interestingly, typically when I have black women come on the show, they identify as like, I'm a black woman and blah, blah, this is what I do. And here's what I'm about and blah, blah, blah. So I made an assumption that that would be how you would identify. And you're like, yeah, no. <laughs> so I think this is really important because I think you made the point of like, we want to put people in boxes and define them and race is a construct yeah, and all those and, things and, are completely yeah, correct. Absolutely. And sometimes we do it to ourselves, you know, like Dr. John Henry Clark, and he's an amazing historian of the African diaspora. He talks all the time about, well, he spoke all the time. He has transcended. <laughs> he spoke about black is what you look like yeah. but african is where you come as the culture and what you've come from right so you know so a lot of even people in my own culture don't even recognize that they're descendants of africa and it's because of the brainwashing and conditioning this eurocentric society has instilled in a lot of our youth a lot of our people so I think that's why it's imperative to make those connect uh, to make those corrections appropriately um, without the anger, without the, you know, isn't it obvious how offensive, you know? So I, I always I, I really, um, you know, so, yeah, I, I, I can see how um, even with that conditioning, if they are are not correcting you then it's collective. And I mm -hmm. think that also goes into a lot of how sometimes we as humans with these boxes, we think, you know, right. like I've been corrected plenty of times before when, you know, I've looked at someone like, okay, so what part of South America are you from? And she's like, actually, Denisha, I'm not from South America. I'm mm -hmm. from the U.S. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, what about your mom? Actually, Denisha, my mom is from the U.S. Okay, what about your grandma? And then <laughs> I had to stop, you know, and then I had to stop myself. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is the point of me even asking these questions? And mm -hmm. then I realized it's because of these boxes. She yeah. as a Latina, me conversing with her, she wasn't fitting into these boxes that I have been conditioned to believe about her. Right. Mm -hmm. And so me asking her these questions and addressing her the way that I was not only was inappropriate, but it spoke a lot on my ignorance. So that's when I created my pedagogy of let's dismantle these boxes. Mm -hmm. yeah, so absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about a big part of your identity. And I think this 
well, I'm, I'm like, where do I want to go with this? Because it's kind of a multi-question. You can go question. anywhere. You but, can go um, anywhere. So I want to bring your mom into the conversation. And Absolutely. I know that your mom was, your mom's trauma informed your upbringing in a big way. And I'm also curious, because my guess is that, that, that some of the things that happened in your childhood, and especially with your relationship with your mom, potentially are connected to you did you said that you were in foster care and also experienced homelessness at times and i'm curious if there's a connection with your relationship with your mom that led to some of those pieces of your life can you dig into um, that a bit well i genuinely believe in you know the historical trauma aspect of the yeah. family of marginalized families of you know my cultures right both mm-hmm. of cultures in which I represent. And my mother is a survivor of many things as well as assault, domestic violence and homelessness and and then her mother and then her mother and then mm-hmm. her mother's mother, right? So a lot of the trauma that I've been through has been generational. So I will not blame my mother in terms of that generational trauma. She knew what she knew. By the time she was 20 years old, she had four children. Mm -hmm. And what that was for her, I can only imagine as, you know, she, you know, accountability is needed where accountability is due. There were things that she should have done better. There were things that she could have done better. Right. But the connection that I make to her trauma is generational. And my philosophy is, if you don't know better, can you do better? But when you know better, do better. Mm -hmm. And she did not know any better, truly. I feel she didn't know any better with a lot of how things happened and which of the ways things did happen as well. But with my father, I think sometimes we have a, a tendency to exclude our fathers, especially when we're dealing with people of color, we naturally exclude the father. I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying that there's accountability and responsibility that both parents have to take. Absolutely. Both parents need to address. It is not just my mother. It is my father. My mother did not magically create me. Right. And I was also created from my father without my father, there would be no me. So my father There were things in his life before I was even created that he had trauma of watching domestic violence from his father, homelessness, poverty. You know, he was a twin. His twin died, you know, and being a man of color in the United States, how in the world is he going to cope (laughs) with these boxes, especially if he has not been conditioned or trained to. Right. So. I will not exclude my father. I will include my father and also include my mother in saying that both of them were children having children and both of them addressed or dismissed things in my brother's and sister in my life based off of what they knew from their parents and their parents, what they knew from their parents and parents. So Mm -hmm. it's generational trauma. So I will say that when I look at my mother and when I look at my father, I resemble all the beauty and all the good and all the greatness that their spirits have transcended within me. And I refuse to look at either of them as 
the way the world tells me I should. Mm. Why are you still talking to your mom? Why? How could you still do this or be this for this? And it's just like, listen, how about we start addressing the system and which makes these types of situations familiar in my community? How about we start addressing how women and men of my culture and community can learn how to heal that's culturally relevant and spiritually relevant to who we are as a people. So these stories like mine can stop, right? So that's where it goes into understanding the historical trauma with a lot of what has happened to my mother, my father, their mothers, their fathers, and so on and so forth. So yes, I was homeless with my mom. Yes, I have been in foster care and group homes based off of the the sexual assault, based off of um, a lot of things. But I, again, will not blame my, just, you know, blame my mother. I will say that both my mother and father, you know, and and it's not my job to force them to heal. It's not my job to force them to see all of their wrongdoings. What my job is, is to make sure I break those curses and break those cycles. And I believe I have uh, started doing so by God's grace and the guidance of my ancestors and holding hate in my heart for two individuals that created me will only force me to hate myself and to hate myself goes against the grain of what God and my ancestors told me to do. For my purpose. Thank you so much for all of that. I didn't have a, much of a relationship with my father growing up, which is why, by mm-hmm. default, I exclude fathers from a lot of things. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. No, 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 no. Um, a lot of people but, do. A lot yeah. of people do. Like even when a, I notice when a, a child, even like for example, recently, you know, with children, uh, when they misbehave, the mom clearly isn't doing any discipline, and it's like, well. <laughs> You know, they blame moms for everything. Right. right. So no, I wasn't attacking. Oh, no, uh, I know. No, I, <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting point. I really I think it's a really valid point. And I will also say, I really appreciate your point around choosing how you want to frame a relationship and choosing like what you are going to, how you might work to preserve a relationship with someone who is either witnessed harm or contributed to your harm. I think that my dad passed away just recently, as you know, because that was part of one of our many reschedules of this conversation. And it's been interesting kind of choosing how to frame that relationship now. And it's actually been really healing to be like, to recognize like, oh, I get to, I have a lot of power right now over how I let this relationship continue to exist with him gone um, in my, how it continues to exist in my mind. And that's been actually a really cool experience that I didn't see coming. And so I just appreciate you mentioning and sharing that we do get to shape these relationships in a way that in however we want to. And sometimes that means we don't have a relationship. And other times it means that we heal a relationship to a point that it is, can be a healthy relationship for us. And that it can be, you know, that we can make it work in a way that works for us. And whether or not that looks conventional or whether or not that's understandable to people on the outside is insignificant. It's what it means to us. I 100% agree. I do not have a relationship with my biological father. And that is a decision and choice that I made so that I could heal. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, you know, how I was even brought into this world was a lot of wrongdoing based off of what he has done to my mother. Mm -hmm. You know, I was not created out of love. You know, I was created from force. And that's my mother's story to tell. 
Mm-hmm. So to know that he is responsible for my mother's tra- aspects of her trauma with the domestic violence and the, the other forms of abuse, I can't quite say that that is an individual that I would feel safe enough to have in my life or whenever I decide to uh, become a mother myself, that that's someone that I can say 100 percent will do right by mine. And right. I just think that that is just, you know. And some people are like, well, your mom, your mom. And I'm like, yeah, hey, there, I have, I hold my mom accountable too. And there's things that at least she's willing to heal our relationship. I think for my father, though, his thing is more like the narcissistic route, you know, actually saying I would beat your mom to make her stronger. Mm-hmm. Or I neglected y'all because I was angry that your mother left me. And it's like, but we came from you. You see what right. I mean? So I don't have, to me, I don't respect that. And at least with my mother, she's like, you know what? I wasn't the best mom, but I love you enough. And I'm adult enough now to understand where things went wrong and because she has started her healing process. Mm -hmm. And for me, I would much rather grasp and hold on to someone that at least is taking steps to heal something that was bruised and broken, right? right? Versus someone who's saying I did nothing wrong. So right. yeah, it's about subjectivity. It's subjective. It's and it's no one else's no one else has the right to tell me or you or anyone what they should or shouldn't do in regards to having a family in their life and who what type of family as well. Even Christ, we can go the biblical route. <laughs> Even Christ said, who is my family, right? This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC.
This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. I want to dig into your book. So you, which is where we kind of started our conversation um, in terms of having you come on the show. So you have a book called Butterflies in Me. And can you talk a little bit about the book and the significance and what you wanted to share about the book? I think it's so relevant to our audience and important for our audience. So can you talk about that a bit? Absolutely. So my senior year of my undergraduate, uh, undergraduate degree program, I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Again, you can't have had the experiences that I've had and not have some residual effect or long lasting effects. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was forced to make some changes in my life. Like I said, first of all, only veterans have PTSD. And Mm -hmm. that was my box that was created Mm -hmm. around me. Right. And that I created for others. And she's like, yeah, no, that's not how life works. And that's not how trauma works. Tanisha. And uh, so she said, you either do what you need to do to heal and be a part and, you know, and live the life that you want to live or you continue to be an, an amazing actress. And I was tired of being an actress. And um, so I decided to take the steps and what I needed to do and incorporated medication at the time, therapy, finding a spiritual outlet, an emotional outlet, a physical outlet. And I was on my knees. I tell everyone I was on my knees and I was crying and I asked God and my ancestors, I said, what, what, what do I do? I need you to help me, help me. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, God said, use the gifts and talents that I gave you to help others heal and I will take care of your healing. Today, I am medication free. I have uh, and I have a children's book and I have documentaries and much, much more. So God kept his promise. So I'm keeping mine. 
Butterflies in me is the butterflies is a metaphor for the child's mental health. And when you think of a butterfly, you think of animation, vibration, you think of beauty, you think of peace. And you, a lot of people don't think of the strength it takes for that butterfly to go against gravity, right? But what people also don't understand how fragile a butterfly is if you tug on its wings. And that's what I think about a child's mental health. And I think that the butterfly symbolizes that brilliantly. Beautiful, dynamic, fragile, yet strong. But it needs protection in that cocoon for a while, right? Uh, before it become, is able to spread its wings. So the mantra at the end of each story is you're special, strong, and you did nothing wrong. I have four characters and each character, they have their own unique experiences. It's culturally relevant. It's to the culture that they represent. And um, it's also spiritually relevant in which the culture that they represent. represent. For example, Kenya who has an anxiety disorder, essentially, from car accident, you know, she wants to sing. Nobody knows that she knows how to sing. And um, finally, her dad recognized, and she was an amazing storyteller. And finally, her dad was like, something's not right here. Let me call a friend who's great at child therapy. Let's figure out what this is. When her his daughter started learning to use her own gifts to tell her story, to heal her trauma, right? She then, at the end of her story, she stand up and she's singing in the church. And then there's butterflies surrounding her at the end of her story. And she's walking off that podium and she's like, yeah, I'm special, strong, and I did nothing wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought that was really beautiful. And each character has a piece of me in them, which I guess is also cathartic for me. Kenya can sing, Lulu is a strong young girl who is deeply, deeply sensitive, but no one else really knows but her best friend, which was her grandma that transcended. And Kenya's gift was singing. Lulu's gift was short stories and recycling the fables and the spiritual principles that her grandmother, who was her best friend that transcended, uh, would give her. So she started writing those stories and reading them to her community. Like, hey, let's not forget who we are. And it helped her heal and it helped her honor her grandmother and her ancestors. You know, Abbas, for example, he was an immigrant from Africa and, you know, he just he loved school, but he just couldn't concentrate enough to figure out what's going on with school. Right. He had ADHD and Javier. He was really, really gifted with being able to play sports, but he went inside of himself when he was unable to cope with some of the changes, some of the things that were happening in his home life. So with the book, I wanted to represent characters that are not seen and little research on. There's not a lot of research on Native Americans with trauma or um Latinos with trauma, you know, or even people of the African uh, diaspora um, cultures, you know, trauma in the U.S. And it's like one size fits all. And that's not the truth. So it's also packaged with a self-esteem affirmation workbook that I partnered with a child therapist. Her name is Katie Ladd. And I also partnered with her with the Practitioner Toolkit for adults 
foster parents, teachers, social workers, any adult who wants to first and foremost learn how to work with marginalized children of different cultural backgrounds from a cultural relevant, do it relevant, you know, from a cultural background of understanding who they are, not what the world says they are. And um, the practitioner toolkits also gives joint exercises that the child and adult can do together, building their self-esteem. So that book actually came to me in a dream. A lot of people, I tell people, it came to me in a dream. That's what Butterflies in Me is about. And I based it off my subjective experiences of not seeing people that I grew up with in books and also addressing how the mental health of marginalized youth is important as well. And unfortunately, as an author that the world sees as black and female, the question always goes, is this book for white kids? And I always flip it back and say, would you ask J.K. Rollins if her books were for people that looks like me? And they stop and they think. So instead of getting angry, I usually just respond with asking re-asking their question to them for them to think. So I unfortunately have to say this, the book is for everyone. Adults have had more of an issue with the book. I find it than the youth. The youth Mm -hmm. never, ever bring up the fact that, hey, this is a Native American. Hey, this is a Latino. Hey, this is a, it's usually the adults yes. who are getting in the way of the healing 100%. and the experiences of these youth. And it drives me bananas. Yes. Oh my I've goodness. I've been told we're not comfortable having this book because um, there are no white children in these books. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you're a title one school, yeah. first of all. And secondly, when I do my author visits, the children focus on the substance of the yeah. stories and see that's where I am so just uh, when it comes to adults because little do we know or sometimes we do know and don't care we're projecting our own hang-ups within these children and mm-hmm. then they grow up thinking and feeling the way we do with these boxes Absolutely. so I've never had a youth in mm-hmm. all my experience say that you know hey of any culture say that they were offended of not being represented at all. It has always been adults. So that's really been my critique of being an Afro-Indigenous author of the whole, you know, I've even been, well, Tanisha, I would love to buy the book, but I would be more comfortable buying the book if you were a white liberal woman writing on diversity versus being you. So I've had, yes, I've even had experiences as an author where people would be like, oh, yeah. So I was really surprised reading your book that it was not about CRT. And I'm like, okay, first (laughs) of all, do you even know what CRT is? And you do understand that it's not even being taught in the educational system, you know, and then it's like, oh, my gosh, we could do a whole nother episode. (laughs) So my frustration has really been about it. I thank you so much for pointing all that out. I think that's all really significant. And I think it's really important that we consider the lens through which we look at children's literature and the books that we bring into our households and also consider the questions that we are sometimes asked by default, which are totally inappropriate and have no bearing on whether or not something <laughs> for our kids. So Denisha, this has been a fantastic conversation. 
Our time is up. I know we can talk forever. (laughs) I need you to tell everyone where can they find you and connect with you and get your book and find out more about your work and all of the good stuff. Absolutely. Well, like I tell people, I would love to make partnerships and collaborations. My website is water, the number two spirit.com. That's water to spirit.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, water to spirit. I'm also on Facebook, water to spirit. And um, on the website, you will have access to my phone number and my direct email. And I just hope that everyone enjoyed this. And if there is someone who could utilize my books, I would love to get that in the hands of all people. And you have a book signing or you have a book signing coming up, right? I do. We are planning on having the book signing October 9th at the Urban Abbey in Omaha, Nebraska. So I'm looking forward to that. I think and can people get information on that on your website as well? They will. Yes. Okay. Yes. They they absolutely will. It will be mainly on social media. Okay. So we will link everything in the show notes, your website, social media, all the good stuff. Um, Are you water to spirit on Instagram as well? I am water to spirit on Instagram as well. In terms of personal Facebook, my name is just Denisha Michelle Seals. And you will see the water to spirit logo behind my picture. Got it. Okay. So everything will be linked up in our show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Denisha Seals and you can get everything right there. All those links just mentioned resources. We want you, everyone to go buy the book. We want people to watch the documentary. If you are anywhere near Omaha, Nebraska, go to the book signing on October 9th. Oh my goodness, Denisha, what a fantastic conversation. Thank you for digging in deep with me. Thank you for like inviting me into conversation and calling me in, in different ways where I got to reconsider how I approach conversation and approach um, people who are different than me as well. What a powerful conversation. Thank you for being here. I'm so, so grateful for your. Thank you so much for joining me in the shameless mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new as always. This conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms, just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show. So you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.
when it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.